0: You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thank you for joining me on The Partner Podcast. This podcast is focused on giving law firm partners useful and relevant information that will help them improve in their lives, grow their practices, and get more business. I'm a high-stakes headhunter. I work like a sports agent for law firm partners who want to take meetings in other firms and make a lateral move. I recruit partners in the two largest legal markets in the world, New York and Washington. So each day, I'm making new friends and moving partners forward in their careers. This unique expertise has given me an interesting perspective because I've noticed that for a partner to be considered successful in the eyes of a law firm, he or she needs to develop a strong amount of loyalty from those companies willing to pay For legal fees. In other words, develop a large portable book of business. But here's the thing if most lawyers are introverts, how can they overcome that attribute? Or in fact, how can they even embrace it smartly and turn that attribute into a successful practice? This is the key focus area of today's podcast as I interview Heidi K. Brown, author of The Introverted Lawyer. I hope you get some great ideas in today's episode of the podcast. So I've got with me on the podcast Heidi K. Brown. She's a graduate of the University of Virginia School of Law, a law professor at Brooklyn Law School, and a former litigator in the construction industry. Having struggled with extreme public speaking anxiety and the perceived pressure to force an extroverted persona throughout law school and nearly two decades of law practice, she finally embraced her introversion and quiet nature as a powerful asset in teaching and practicing law. She's the author of a two-volume legal writing book series entitled The Mindful Legal Writer, won a global legal skills award for her work in helping law students overcome public speaking anxiety in the context of the Socratic method and oral arguments, and was appointed to the Fulbright specialist roster to teach English legal writing in international law schools. Heidi champions the power of quiet law students and lawyers to be profoundly impactful advocates in their authentic voices. And Heidi's with me today to discuss her book, The Introverted Lawyer. And Heidi, thanks for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, this is interesting. I'm just kind of curious. What motivated you to write the book? Because I read the book. I found it fascinating and insightful and also tactical, where you give specific action steps that part, or not just partners, but attorneys can take to turn that to their advantage. But what motivated you to write your book?
1: Well, a lot of people might think of the title as sort of an oxymoron, the introverted lawyer. Do those people exist? So I wanted to write a book that would help quiet, introverted, shy, or even socially anxious law students and lawyers really tap into their authentic voices. I was a really quiet law student, and I thought something was actually wrong with me, that I I was excited to become a lawyer. I loved the research and writing. But the speaking in class subject to the Socratic method or doing oral arguments really challenged me. But I just kind of kept faking my way through it. I took trial advocacy classes, listening to all the advice of just do it or fake it till you make it or just just practice a thousand times and it'll get easier. And it just didn't for me. I ended up landing a job at a construction litigation firm in right outside D.C. And it was a very hard hitting, aggressive Uh, sort of trial by fire law firm, great mentoring, great experience. But again, this same situation, I kept doing depositions and trial work and just feeling like I had to fake an extroverted persona, which was, as you can imagine, a pretty stressful way to go about practicing law. And I I did that for really uh, about 15 years until I transitioned into teaching. And I was teaching in litigating at the same time. And I noticed that some of my strongest writers, my legal writers, were my brightest students, but they were showing similar signs of quietude, introversion, or fear of performance-oriented events. And so that's really what prompted me to write the book. I needed to sort of study my own quietude and introversion and also anxiety towards performance moments, but then try and figure out a way to help our newest generation of lawyers not really overcome or transition into something that they're not, but really embrace the assets that introverted individuals bring to our profession.
0: Right. I think that's a powerful and a smart way to advance in your own areas by writing a book about that, that also has a way to leave a legacy of of service to those that have that same challenge. So, so kudos to you. That's great.
1: Thank so, you. Yeah. Studying it really helped me crystallize what was it I was trying to say about the assets of introverted, even shy and socially anxious individuals and how to amplify our voices when we need to in an authentic manner?
0: Right, because I don't think you really learn something as much as when you teach it to other people. And you probably know that in your work as a, as a legal professor, too. Very true. <laughs> so, Professor, let's go to some definitions. What are some of the key differences between introverts and extroverts, specifically in the context of the legal profession?
1: Yes, well, introverts and extroverts process energy and stimuli and information and ideas in very different ways. And and both can excel in the legal profession, but they handle all that information very differently. So introverts are very internal, hence the word introvert. We process information internally, very methodically, very deeply. There's actually science that says that introverts and extroverts use different neural pathways in the brain to process
0: And that's interesting. I remember you wrote about that in the book too, didn't you?
1: Yes. And the introvert pathway is much longer. So we go a lot deeper when we're sort of vetting and testing theories. We can sit in a meeting or in a courtroom or in a negotiation and be processing all these different pieces of information. And we do it really kind of slowly and methodically internally before we're ready to take it prime time, I like to say. Whereas extroverts can process all that information by speaking aloud about it immediately because they're vetting and testing ideas and creative solutions externally. And so that's why it often appears that extroverts jump into the fray more readily, but they haven't necessarily fully tested their ideas yet. They're they're sharing them externally to perfect them, right. whereas introverts are doing all that internally.
0: And do, you th- and do you think that in general, the world kind of rewards those who are the loudest and the brashest and the most vocal? And that's not a political question. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. In the classroom, in, in the office space, in courtrooms, we're always drawn to the loud, more dominant talkers. But when you sit down and really analyze in those scenarios, often the loudest person that that we're drawn to just by sheer volume is not the one necessarily with the most profound idea or the most creative solution to a problem or the correct solution or the one that's been kind of fully thought through. And so what I'm trying to encourage is that we we sort of listen to the quiet ones. We give them a chance to process all this information and, and often they'll surprise us with a really astute observation or a really clever solution to a problem that others in the room, because they're spending time talking, hadn't really come up with yet.
0: That's right. And I think from what I've noticed and talking to literally thousands of attorneys about their practices and their goals, I would agree with you that there are some key assets to those that would be characterized as introverted. Because they earn that trust of that client, and they can articulate things in a way that truly serves that client rather than someone that's just trying to build a look-at-me platform. So let me ask you then, from those that might consider themselves introverted, what's the difference? Is or is there a difference between introversion and shyness or social anxiety?
1: Yes, there is a difference. And one other uh, difference between introversion and extroversion that I'll point out first is the way we process and rejuvenate and rekindle energy. So extroverts gather energy from others and being around uh, other individuals in social situations, whereas introverts can be very uh, well refined in social situations, but eventually need a time and space to be alone, to Mm -hmm. rekindle energy. That is different from a person who experiences shyness or social anxiety. So you can be a a non-shy, very confident introvert, but again, you you sort of hit a wall at a certain point when you need to retreat to a quiet room or to your office, shut your door, work independently, read, exercise, not have any music on, kind of that, that sort of thing. Shyness and social anxiety is really a fear of judgment. And so it's a very different phenomenon from introversion and certainly from extroversion. A lot of times individuals that I've seen come to law school or or law practice having had coaches or teachers or authority figures or caregivers in childhood or high school, adolescence or college or even law school that have created sort of a um, judgment-oriented Approach to helping someone grow or develop, and this is not to say that they had bad intentions, but a lot of times we carry those uh, criticism messages from those younger experiences into law school, uh-huh. and then and then we replay those scenarios in our head in, in a law school environment, and we listen to these judgment oriented messages that kind of cause us to falter because we're worried about failure, we're worried about not measuring up, we're worried about making a mistake. And it becomes fear based. So, shyness is if we have that initial reaction every time we're, or often when we're in a social situation. Social anxiety is when that shyness rises to the level that it can interfere in our ability to perform at our best, either at work or in school.
0: Wow. So, you mentioned in the book that introverted or quiet individuals have particular assets. And bring those to the legal profession. What are some of those assets?
1: Yes, the the science, the many, many books that I read about introversion, shyness, and social anxiety all reiterate these themes that quiet individuals are active listeners. They're the people in the room who are absorbing the other individual's ideas. So active listening, what an asset for a lawyer to be an active listener to clients, opposing counsel, judges, because as an active listener, you can start to put together patterns of other people's thoughts and come up with solutions. We mentioned deep thinking earlier. Quiet individuals are really methodical deep thinkers, and that can lead to creative problem solving. Lawyers, sometimes the answer, as we know, the answers are not always readily apparent. And sometimes the solution to a legal problem is a non-legal solution. And introverts have been known to be creative problem solving because they enjoy solitude and independent working, that's where creativity can really spark. Writing is another tremendous asset of quiet lawyers. We spend a lot of time really thinking through our writing. And I find that when I have a challenging legal conundrum that I really can't just figure out, I start to write about it. Many judges have said this too, that if, if the answer to a legal conflict is not readily apparent, they write it out until the solution comes to mind. And quiet lawyers are, are often really good writers. I've seen that in my students and also in many associates that I have mentored over the years. And another asset of quiet individuals is empathy. And we might not, in the in the hard-hitting corporate world of, of lawyering, not think empathy is an asset. But you know, I practice construction litigation. And a lot of times, just having empathy for the other side and seeing the human nature component of a conflict on a job site or a project that's gone wrong. Even though you can still be an aggressive litigant or advocate, taking at least a moment to understand having some empathy for the human component of a conflict can really help you come up with creative solutions to legal problems, even in a corporate world, not, not so much a public interest world or a social justice theme in a case.
0: Well, I think even in terms of client development, because the question I'm thinking of, because a lot of the partners I talk to that move from firm A to firm B, there's an expectation of portable business. And I talk to a lot, maybe 75% that just don't have a large book. And that's the one thing that they're trying to figure out. How can I grow my book? And that's the question I have is somebody, if they're introverted, do you think that they have an intrinsic handicap in terms of client development, business development, building a brand? Or do you think that can actually be an asset as it relates to building trust with clients and writing to showcase your expertise through written words? What do you think?
1: I absolutely think that introversion can be an asset in networking. It might not seem as obvious that introverts can be good networkers because yes, it's sometimes it's challenging or energy draining for us to walk into a networking event or a Or a legal conference or a a situation where we're expected to schmooze. But what I have found is that introverted individuals, because they're good listeners, can really pick up on the interests of a potential client. And sometimes these interests are non-legal, but to connect on a human level with the client, really listen to what they're worried about, what they're excited about, what their next challenge is, what their next opportunity is. The introverted lawyers can connect on a level that perhaps other personality types might not pick up on most readily and then can follow up in writing and emails or in one-on-one meetings in a way that really deepens that connection with a potential client. I've observed in New York, um, just in my communications over the past decade, that some of the most insightful lawyers in networking situations have been the more quiet personalities.
0: What's interesting is that in the world of sales, in the world of client development, the more you can connect with those where there is a problem and there is an emotional context to that problem. In other words, sleepless nights if the problem doesn't get solved. The more you have the attention of that prospect. If it's someone that's removed, all they have to do is turn their notice and then go somewhere else. So if you're dealing with an owner of a company or a senior-level executive or the chief counsel, whose income and livelihood depends on the problem being solved, those are the people that are probably tuned in more to those that have that empathic type listening skills, the active listening skills, because it's not all about you, meaning the attorney. It's all about the client and shifting the focus to them and asking intelligent probing questions that really pinpoint where those problems are. People at that level, a much more sophisticated buying market, they have a higher degree of commitment to solving that problem like i mentioned there's an emotional context to it so i can see that everything you talk about fits squarely in in the range of success for people that want to sell work that are introverted so let me ask you going back to your uh, your story heidi when you're an introverted lawyer and I appreciate your transparency in your book. You're you're sharing very personally the challenges that you faced. What were some of those challenges that you were facing in the law firm environment? Here you are, an introvert, in a, in a world of what might seemingly be extroverts. How did you survive? What were some of the issues you're facing?
1: Yes, especially the industry that I practiced in, being in the construction industry, it was a very extroverted. Oh, sure. Industry and and frankly, in the law firms where I worked, we associates and of counsel were expected to sort of mirror that extroverted persona. Um, And I am completely transparent in that. It was hard for me. I I found that in trying to fake really kind of hard-hitting, podium-pounding persona, I was being inauthentic. And I struggle with that. It, it brought a lot of anxiety every time I had a deposition. And I've, usually my cases involved eight or nine lawyers in the room. And when I had to perform in those scenarios and I would try to mirror their aggressive personas, I, I faltered a lot until I started realizing, wait a minute, why don't I just try this my authentic sort of quieter way? And I saw things starting to go my way a lot more. That happened in negotiations. I would take the lead in negotiations as the writer of the document, as the the keeper of the document, and make that my my aggressive role. I controlled the document, and and then I felt more prepared to be in charge of conference calls for negotiations or in person meetings. Depositions, similarly, I had I, once I stopped trying to be inauthentic and instead just stuck to my plan. I always had very detailed outlines and deposition outlines and exhibits ready to go. So the preparation was there. And when I started delivering my message in my sort of quiet but strong way, I really got a lot of information because people, I think, sort of underestimated me <laughs> at the, in those moments. Right. Um, trial work was was difficult for me because as I mentioned in the book, I also have this tendency to blush when I'm when I'm nervous, when I get right, anxious, right. my face turns red. And in my early days, I got really self-conscious about that. And, and I felt that other attorneys would sense weakness and, and sort of prey on that. And until I understood what was happening to me physically and that that was just a natural reaction, there was nothing I could do about it. It still happens when I teach, when I speak and sort of just embrace that that's part of me and my approach to lawyering, things again started going my way a lot more. I let go of being self-conscious about physical reactions to anxiety and stuck to my plan, my preparation, my substance, my strategy, and the blush would go away and I could conquer what I needed to conquer in those performance moments. So to me, the key in this this, huge learning throughout my own self-study and in writing this book was being authentic, but really understanding what it is to be authentic. We always say be authentic, but but what is your individual authenticity? And that that can take some time to figure
0: out. Right. So in your book, you acknowledge that while introverts and otherwise quiet advocates can be pivotal change agents for the profession, obviously, lawyers need to be able to jump into the fray, speak with assertiveness at many points throughout a client's representation. And then you provide a seven-step process for amplifying one's voice in an authentic way. What, what are some of those steps? How would you describe those, Heidi?
1: Yes, I definitely want to acknowledge that we, we don't have the luxury to sit quietly in our offices studying, reading, researching, and writing. We have to to become change agents and to use all the assets that I mentioned. We have to be able to, to step into the fray, as you said. And so for me, the process of getting where I needed to be in each of those moments I sort of pared down to the seven step process that hopefully others can maybe try and see if it works for them. Uh-huh. So, the first, the first four steps are really involving mental and physical reflection and then mental and physical action. I was okay. really surprised to see not only the, the mental processes we go through, but the physical manifestations of introversion in terms of energy, but also anxiety. And what are we actually doing with our physical selves in those moments that maybe isn't the greatest for us and what can we do to change? So the first four steps, the first step is mental reflection. What exactly are the messages or the soundtrack in our minds as we approach these lawyering performance events? What are those messages that maybe we're bringing into a conference room that really have no business being there because it was something a coach said to us 15 years ago? So it's so so like
0: th- an old an old tape or an old recording in our mind, pretty much.
1: Yes. And it's, it's automatic. We do it constantly. Anytime I go into a meeting, I'm hearing those same messages. So it, the important thing is listening to what is going on in our heads. And once we start listening to that, that old soundtrack, right. and I recommend in the book that you write it down and transcribe it. Cause once you notice it, it's easier to change it.
0: Right. And let me ask you about that. You mentioned writing it down. Are you talking about in a personal journal by hand or in a word document where, what do you recommend?
1: Whatever really works for each individual. I like to write on paper. And so for me, the, the physical act of, of transferring something from my brain to my hand to a piece of paper really helps me see it better. Right. But other other people who might be more technologically savvy, really the process of just getting it out of our brains and, and into a document so then we can reflect on it, that's the key. So right. what individual techniques I recommend because I, I don't think one size fits all in this process.
0: Right. And let me talk about that in a second because I think that tip in itself is is uniquely profound because I think it gets us out of our head to where we can kind of step out of our bodies and look down at us when we're writing it down. It almost, almost uh, be a little bit more objective when we can put it on paper and take a step back and go back and reread it a few days later and see what was going on in our mind at that time. So I think that's just a great tip right there.
1: Absolutely. And it's remarkable, the messages that we're replaying in our in our brains in law-related moments that really have no business being there. And it takes that act of writing them down to realize that. I mean, it's and almost this,
0: like this is therapy. This is doing a personal development therapy in some ways.
1: It really is. It's hard work, but it works, I promise. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Okay, so what are the others on the list, um, on okay, so the four steps? First, four
1: In steps. conjunction with the mental reflection, which we just talked about, the physical reflection is huge. So I started really doing a physical inventory of what I was doing as I walked into a performance moment. And a lot of times we try, we instinctively protect ourselves. Our bodies are just going into autopilot. And so we tend to make ourselves smaller by closing off, you know, crossing our legs, crossing our arms, averting eye contact, getting small. And what I started to realize was that we're blocking blood flow, energy flow and oxygen flow. And that is part of why our brains, especially for introverts who need time within a conversation to sort of let ideas percolate and process and, and vet and test theories. We don't have the luxury of a, uh, a slow working brain, Right. And but we're instinctively impeding our our brain and and blood and oxygen flow. And that also can cause introverts to get tired because as I mentioned before, we process energy differently from extroverts. So the mental and physical reflection in steps one and two, then feed into mental and physical action in steps three and four, Okay, having a different mental plan. We all, we always are going to have our substantive plan, our, you know, our lawyer strategy for all these performance events, but we also need a mental approach. We need to be mentally prepared. What is the room going to look like if we can find out? How many people are going to be in there? Where am I going to sit? What's the first thing I'm going to say? And if those messages pop into my head, how am I going to stop? I I kind of like to say it's like stop, drop, and roll, like the fire (laughs) strategy. You hear, hear the message, you stop, you drop and roll, and you play your new message. Okay, I'm prepared for this meeting or this deposition or this negotiation. I know what I'm doing. I can do my quiet approach. I can stick to my plan. So like a, like a
0: mantra almost, pretty much.
1: Yes, and a, and a mental checklist. It's almost like athletes approaching an Olympic event or any any sort of athletic event. They have a mental checklist, as I've learned from research and talking to athletes, and they have a physical checklist. And if they run through these, these mantras or these checklists, they can perform under stress. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to be sort of lawyer athletes, but we need a mental checklist and we need a physical checklist too. You're
0: absolutely right. So
1: so step four is, again, having a physical plan for an event, which might sound so silly when we're talking about going to court. Why do I need a physical plan? But we do. I really like to put myself into different athletic training scenarios. Like right now I'm taking boxing lessons because i found that Wow. If in a performance moment, um, if I'm feeling stressed or anxious or weak, I remember when I survived a 45-minute <laughs> boxing lesson and I didn't pass out, so I can survive you know, a 45-minute conference call. And then also approaching those events like an athlete, instead of closing ourselves off and shutting down blood and oxygen flow, opening our, our physical bodies up, having a balanced sort of athletic stance, breathing... Uncrossing our legs, I find myself doing that in in meetings where I realize every time I'm starting to get nervous about speaking, I'm I'm crossing my limbs again, and I need to open back up. It really does work; it's amazing. Wow! So then the next three steps are really just consciously having a plan to work on these new checklists, and what I recommend in step five is coming up with what the literature, the the experts in these Uh, social psychology fields call an exposure plan. And at first when I started learning about exposure, I thought that sounds dangerously like just do it, but it's not. The exposure plan is coming up with maybe five to 10 law-related scenarios that might cause an introvert anxiety or cause a socially anxious person anxiety, and then ranking them from least anxiety producing to most anxiety producing. And then coming up with an action plan for each of those events, and, and really stepping into the events that we have to do as lawyers, but with our substantive plan, our mental action plan, and our physical action plan.
0: And, and can I interrupt you for a second, Heidi? I love when you talk in Chapter 9, the action agenda, when you talk about this, where you write, sometimes the very things that hurt and scare us also offer a healing balm. And I thought that's great
1: that's a quote, I think from one of the sources that I, that I researched and absolutely just by putting ourselves into these situations that scare us and realizing we can come, we're going to ride the arc. I mean, this is not to say that anxiety or stress is just going to disappear forever. And I want to be realistic about that, but it's stepping into these scenarios, knowing we have our plan, knowing that, It's going to be a little intense, but we can survive it. And and it's amazing when you can kind of ride the arc of the heightened mental and physical manifestations and then come out the other side and realize, oh, wow, with those subtle changes I made, I performed really well. I got that piece of information or I answered that judge's question better than I would have before.
0: The hero's journey is what it is, Heidi.
1: Yes, (laughs) it's exciting. It really is. And then step six is sort of intertwined with step five. In step five, you identify the exposure events. And then step six is coming up with your technical plans for each particular event. And then step seven is the reflection piece, kind of looking back on that meeting or that conference call or that intense negotiation or deposition and realizing what really worked well, what you noticed that was different from how you would have handled it just going in there completely blind before this process, and maybe also what you can adjust or modify or, or work on a little bit more smoothly for the next go around. And then I, I don't really make this a step, but I really wanna encourage us to talk about these experiences with other quiet individuals in law practice, because so many of us feel like we have to fake it or, or that this is a, somehow a weakness or that we just have to tough our way through these events But I strongly feel that the more we talk about this in law school, but also in law practice and and really create a mentoring environment, we're going to really change the way our profession succeeds.
0: That's great. Well, we're running out of time here, Heidi, but tell me, how can people get your book? How can they order this and how can they reach you if they wanted to reach out to you about any projects they might want to involve you in?
1: Thank you so much. Well, the book is available on the ABA publishing website. It's also available on Amazon and it's available on barnesandnoble.com. So if you just want to plug in The Introverted Lawyer. And my name, again, is Heidi K. Brown. You will find the book that way. You can also email me at Heidi at the introvertedlawyer.com. And I'm more than happy to talk about ideas or workshops or events that would help more lawyers really understand the assets that introverted lawyers bring to the profession, but also amplify their voices in an authentic manner.
0: This is great, Heidi. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast for your time and your expertise. I really appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.